please turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to our Old Testament reading. Chapter 3. <laughs> Daniel 3. Uh, we'll be reading verses 8 through 18. And again, I just want you to be thinking and check out the connective tissue between what I read in the Old Testament and what we preach on in our study in Romans. And uh, especially that idea of being free from sin and living under righteousness. So Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, you know the story. This is Nebuchadnezzar. The golden image is set up, and everybody's required to bow down to it, but God's people refuse to do that. So we see what happens. Verse 8, therefore, the time, therefore at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. <clears throat> there are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought the men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you are ready... When you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast in a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And let's go to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, verses 15 through 19. And it's entitled, Slaves of Righteousness. Paul's continuing on in what he's been speaking to, and he says this, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting 
at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed. From the end of those things is death. I'm sorry, for the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And praise God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you. Thank you, Lord, for your precious word. Thank you for gathering your people here this morning. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be upon us, Lord. Uh, we are we are humbled by you. And who is able, Lord, to um, handle these things rightly? Uh, we know our limitations. And so we're dependent upon your spirit. I pray that you would be with each and every one of us, Lord, to give us attention to your precious word, to illuminate our hearts by your spirit and give us understanding, Lord, and convict us where we need to be convicted. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged, Lord. Challenge us where we need to be challenged to be more like Christ, to depend on Jesus Christ, to forget about ourselves and to love you even as you have loved us. So, Lord, I just pray for this time that you would be with me, that we bring forth your word with power, with clarity, Lord God, with precision, and that we would hear, Lord, and receive your word and glorify you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And praise God. It's a two-parter, um, just too much here for, for one message. And listen, all Paul's doing, what Paul's doing for us, he's just continuing to impress. He wants to impress upon his readers and on all Christians the fact that the reign of sin is over. Amen. Praise God. It doesn't have that power. Don't let it have that power over you as we once did. That's what Paul's saying. And he knows, he knows it's so hard for us because we still struggle with sin. So he knows how hard it is for us to grasp that reality. And yet that's why he keeps pressing on and on over and over and over again. And then he's showing us how absurd it is, how absurd the idea is that if you're really in Christ Jesus, that we can continue in willful sin. That's just absurd. So are we going to keep on sinning because we're under grace? No, because we're under grace, we're going to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Our eyes are now open to sin. That power has been broken. Last week, we looked at the um, illustration, especially of baptism, being baptized due to his death, buried, raised up with him. The old man is crucified. We live in newness of life. We're not under the law in terms of the law's demands that it pushed upon us, but we're under grace. Amen? Praise God. This is our reality. This is the reality for those who are in Jesus Christ. This is what he's purchased for us, man. Be thankful to him. So he continues on with this because he knows that we're stubborn. He knows we're hard-headed. We know we're going to keep going back to sin and struggle with that. So he uses another analogy, and that is slavery. And it's just a way of showing that our bondage to sin has been broken, to serving sin is over, and that we're freed from sin in order to serve Christ in righteousness. Amen. Praise God. That's it. Listen, look at verses 15 and 16. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? No way. By no means. May it never be. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as an obedient, as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. Listen, everybody, doesn't matter who you are, everybody serves somebody or something. That's just the way it is. And ultimately, ultimately, you are either serving, you as a person, you're either serving God and righteousness, 
or you're serving Satan and sin. There's no other way. You're not just, you don't just live for yourself, right? You don't just live in this world without any worldview or guidance or something. You are either, there's no neutrality, man. There's what, what you do, why you do what you do, how you do the things you do, show to whom you belong. That's what it does. It's either the Lord or it's Satan. It's, a, it's either righteousness or sin. There's no other way, ultimately in that way. Do you understand? Remember in, in, in the gospel, in the gospels, there was a, the person going around casting out demons and the disciples wanted to rebuke him. What did Jesus say to him in Mark chapter 940? For the one who is not against us is for us. See, in this text, he says, you're either for sin or you're for God and righteousness. Either or, one or the other. No third way. That's, that's, that's just implanted. It's natural. That's what he's saying. Um, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. He'll either hate one and he'll love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and he'll despise the other. You can't serve God and money. There's no way. You can't, you can't have two masters. You can't have it both ways. There's no middle ground, right? It's one or the other. In John, um, the Pharisees believed that they belonged to God, didn't they? Oh, we, we love God. We love Jehovah. And then Jesus said, no, 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 no. You're not of, you're not of God. You're of your father, the devil. Right, so it says in John eight forty eight forty four, you're your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Listen, if they thought they belonged to God. They did not, but since they didn't belong to God, they didn't belong to nobody. They didn't belong to themselves. They belong to their father, the devil. It's one or the other, right? That's what he's saying here. You're either serving sin or you're serving righteousness. And then he goes on in verse 16. He says, you were slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. When he says that word death, um, he juxtaposes that, not, not with life, but against righteousness. So, yes, of course, in an ultimate sense, that word death there means that we're we're separated from God from all eternity in hell apart from Jesus Christ. No doubt about that. But also in this context, that word death serves to, to, to just point out the futility of serving sin. It, yes, ultimately it leads away from God. But even in this life, there's a sense of futility. There's a, a it's defeat. It's emptiness. It's darkness. It's despair. It's not going to get you anywhere, at least not for long. So that's that, that death. It leads to death, ultimately separation from God. But even because it's juxtaposed against that righteousness, kind of like a failure. You think that sin's going to fill you up. You think that sin's going to make you feel good. You think that sin's going to give you freedom and purpose. That doesn't last. That doesn't last. It leads to death, ultimately, in separation from the Lord. And yet, it seems so attractive to us, doesn't it? Sin promises freedom. It promises satisfaction. It promises uh, feelings of joy, but the reality is it's bondage and hopelessness is what it actually leads to. And that's the oldest trick of Satan, isn't it? That trick goes all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, right? What was the deception and the lie and the subtlety, the craftiness of the evil one, of Satan? In part, it was this. 
that you can find freedom apart from God, that you could find joy and hope because God knows once you eat of that, you are going to be like him. You're going to know knowledge of good and evil. And the implication is, look, he's holding you back from getting what you want. And that's at the heart of someone that we don't need God. There's not fulfillment in it. There's no, too many rules, too many things to follow. My freedom is apart from God when I get to do what I want, what I feel, what seems right to me, what makes me happy and brings me joy. So we try to find freedom, joy, peace apart from God all the time we are against God. You understand that? That's what's going on here. You're either serving sin or you're serving righteousness. Now I'm going to give some examples of that bondage, of presenting ourselves to sin, which leads to death. And some, I've, I've talked to some, uh, one person in particular, and he said, you know, Pastor, you bring out the sins that are very obvious. And I'm going to do that for sure, you know, to show that we're under the bondage of sin. Apart from Christ, we present ourselves to sin. But this person was saying, like, there people aren't always so bad as, you know, you make them out to be in this way, or the Bible says in sin. But listen, listen, it doesn't matter because even the, the most subtle kinds of sin where you're, where you're turning away from the Lord and presenting yourself to sin and apart from God shows that we deserve God's wrath, doesn't it? So let me give you a really good example of that. Have you ever heard of the American dream? How many of you have heard of the American dream? The good life, in other words. And here's how that goes. Again, and there are things... It's not all bad, to be sure. I'm not here to, to trash the American dream or, or some of these things here. But, but this is the subtlety of that sin that leads to death apart from the Lord. And I want you to hear this. So here's how it goes. I've heard this person say, look, what about the people that work really hard? And like most people that you know, most people that I know are hard work. They're not like out there robbing stores, raping people, doing this, doing that. Most people that we know work really hard, don't they? Most people that we know mind their business. They're not up in everybody else's business. They're not, you know, causing trouble in that way. A lot of people that we know raise their families with values, right? They teach them to be, you know, to, to have certain, certain moral, ethical values and standards. They're good citizens. Neighborly neighbors like you guys, like, like most of us and most people that you know, proud of their accomplishments. They invested wisely in their lives and, and now they're set for retirement and there's nothing wrong, right? That's, they tip their hat to God. You know, the big guy upstairs has been good to me and me and me, they, you know, I, I, I'm okay with God. I really haven't given him a reason to condemn me in any way. But right there, right there, that person is held captive to the concept of life, of pursuing the good life as an end in itself. Do you understand? With no need for God. No acknowledgement of God in that person's life for the very breath that they take, for the, for the provision that he makes, for the gifts and talents that he's given them, let alone praising him in that way. Do you understand? There's nothing there. It's just like, oh, yeah, oh God, yeah. Uh, again, God's been good to me and so on. It's, it's very superficial in that way. And you're proud of the life that you built. And you really have had no need for God in your life. That's a subtle sin of you presenting yourself to sin and still rejecting God. Turn with me in your Bibles. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. I want to show you how this works. Now I'm going to get to the more obvious and overt sins that we present ourselves to 
as we try to look for this kind of freedom and fulfillment or whatever apart from God. But Luke chapter 12. And you know the story beginning in verse 13. Actually, this is the called the parable of the rich fool, but I want to read this. Some in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me judge or, judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Now listen, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build larger ones. And there I'll store my grain and all my goods. Now listen, this guy wasn't necessarily this sinful, wicked man person. He's not like the rich man in Lazarus. Remember that rich man just treated Lazarus so badly. There's nothing. This guy was just saying, look, here's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm profitable. I'm, I'm living the American dream and I'm prosperous and I'm just going to build bigger barns and tear it down. And you know, that's, that's what I'm going to do. I worked hard and my land's produced and amen to that. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones and there I'll store my grains and good. And then I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. That's the American dream. That's what we're living for. That's what you're working so hard for. So you can get to that place where you could just relax and, you know, live in retirement and, and go on. Again, nothing necessarily wrong with that if you have the Lord, but if that's what you're relying on, that's still, look what happens to here. Look what he says to him. But God said to him, but God said to him, you fool, you're a fool. This night, your soul is required of you and the things that you've prepared, whose will they be? So it is with the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. You see that? You see that? That's a subtle sin. I wanted to bring that out as an example because people put themselves in this category and say, hey, the people I know, they're just living their lives and they're pretty. That's not enough. That's not enough. That will get you damned to hell and away from God. That's why we trust in the Lord. Now, again, examples of more common overt sins that we know. People try to find happiness, joy, fulfillment apart from God in such things as wealth. Again, nothing wrong with wealth. If you have it in perspective, in God's perspective, there's nothing wrong with it at all. And enjoying the fruit of that, amen, in the Lord. But also, when people, on the other side, when people are slaves to money, slaves to that kind of thing. This is your examples of presenting yourselves to sin and not righteousness. Well, what am I going to do? I'm going to try to get as much wealth as I can because that's where freedom is. That's where joy comes from. What does Scripture say? That is the root of all kinds of evil. You ask most very wealthy people. They're not necessarily happy people. They're oftentimes very insecure people. They're oftentimes, why? Because they see it as freedom. And yes, there's advantages to, to wealth in many ways. And, but in so many ways, you think it has you, you think you have it, but in reality it has you. And you're held captive to that wealth, right? Because you don't want to lose it. So what happens when you don't want to lose it? You kind of hold on to it more tightly. And so you have these very, very wealthy people who are very, very frugal. And that way, we'll just use that word as a euphemism, uh, putting it nicely. Why? Because they're afraid to lose it. 
They're afraid to lose the prestige. They're afraid to lose the power. They're afraid to lose the access that this brings because that's what they're holding on to. That's presenting yourself to sin in that way. That's not a righteous way of doing this. That's not going to get you where you need to be in terms of the Lord. And it's really doesn't bring freedom, but brings a kind of slavery where you're so afraid and you're in bondage to that. And what are you going to do if you lose that? And what's going to happen to me? Do you understand? Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18 says, As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, the uncertainty of it, right? But on God, who richly provides with us everything to enjoy, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So there's a godly perspective on wealth as opposed to the other side where you're just afraid of losing it. Philippians 4, 12 and 13, of course, Paul says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a real biblical perspective on that. But you see, I'm not given over to that. Um, giving yourself over to sin, consumed other, other types of sin where we think we find that freedom, where we could do what we want and be who we are and live the way we feel, often comes with a sexual morality. That's a big deal. All kinds of sexual morality. What does it do? It ends up consuming. It might start off good. It might start off exhilarating in many ways. But you tell, talk to people who are addicted to porn who are in that trap, what a slave that is. How they're slavishly serving that. And we'll talk next week how that goes from more to more. But that's an example of presenting your members with to things even that are good in God's context, but you take them out of that context and you're looking for fulfillment. You're looking for happiness. You're looking for purpose. You're, lo- you're serving that master. Again, the sexual morality consumes, devastates, destroys individuals, marriages, and families. Just leaves a massive destruction in its wake because of your slavery to that particular sin. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know that many of you do, right? You see that. And, it, and it's these kinds of things that lead to breakdowns in the family. It's these kinds of things oftentimes that lead to divorce and breaking up of the family. Presenting yourself to this category of sins ultimately leads to brokenness, emptiness, emptiness bondage, and death. Right? That's what it does. You're a slave to that sin. Paul says, that's how you live. That's, if you present your members in that way, that's what you get. Slave to sin, you're serving it. What are you serving this morning? If you're covetous, if you're a covetous person, if you always want something that others have and you feel like you need that in order to be happy or you, you really um, desire that, whichever it happens, you, you, you need that where you're covetous, if that's your sin, What's that lead to? Envy, jealousy, discontentment. You think that leads to happiness, joy, and grace? No, it doesn't. Because you're coveting, and you're, you want that so badly, and you get so mad because that person has what you want and that thing that you need. So that's going to, that's what you end up be serving, that sin. And that's all manifests itself. Anger, if you're an angry person, if you don't have that self-control, if that's that sin over you, what kind of person are you going to be? A hateful person, a bitter person, and a resentful person. Because you're serving that sin of anger, right? You're, you're continually giving yourself over to it. If it's vanity, 
If it's vanity, you're going to be self-centered. You're going to be arrogant because that's what vanity does because you're worried about yourself and how wonderful and beautiful you are and how people perceive you. So you're living up to that. You see how you serve these things? You see how you serve these things in order to get attention, in order to find meaning, in order to find purpose? It leads to death. Worry. If you're a worrier in that way, it leads to fear and anxiety. These are things when you're... Well, listen, and here's the point I want to make about this. That's why I'm laboring it. When you're serving sin, and Paul says, don't you know, when you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to whom you obey, either sin which leads to death or obedience which leads to righteousness. Here's the deal, and I want you to listen to this. When you're serving sin, you don't see it that way. Do you understand? This is part of what's going on. So, in our, in our examples, you're kind of chasing, all you're saying is, hey, I'm chasing the American dream. That's all I'm doing. That's not a bad thing, is it? That's how you see it. You don't see it as turning your back from God, being independent, being proud in that way, not relying on God, not acknowledging God in any way. You just see it as me pursuing the American dream, right? Who doesn't want wealth? Tell me, if somebody left you a million dollars, you wouldn't take it. Who doesn't want wealth? Of course, that's how you're going to view that. That's what we're living for. People love money. That's why we gamble. That's why we do this. That's why we do that. Because there's nothing wrong with that. Hey, we're sexual beings. That's natural for us. Don't be so stuffy. It's really none of your business. Do you understand? So when you're, when you're serving sin, you're such a slave to it that you don't even see the bondage that you're under necessarily until the Lord opens your eyes. He says, you're presenting yourself. Serving means that you are loyal to that master. You're loyal to that leader. You love that sin. Don't think that it doesn't mean that. Listen, when he says, when he's, this whole idea here is he's talking about slavery. Don't think so much of chattel slavery. Um, it's, there's part of that because we are held captive and we are taken captive in a sense in that way. But don't don't think that you that these people are like, I don't want to be this kind of person. I don't want to do this. No, 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 no. You want to do this. You love to do this. You find great pleasure if you're when you're angry and you're able to shut another person down and dominate them. You do love that, right? You do love. There are people that love to steal, and they just love to steal. They love to take, and they love to get away with as much as they can. And they love to lie in your face, and they love to deceive you. Don't think that they don't love. It's not like, oh, I'm kind of trying to fight this away. You're not. They're not. You're serving that master. You're held captive in that way. And I, I'm trying to think of a way to illustrate this. So I'm going to use this, and I hope it's helpful. Here we go. Listen, this idea of being a slave to sin in that way is like a person who's born into a mob family, into the mafia, okay? They're born into that whole Life, that whole kind of world in that way. That's your family. You were there, like you're there, and you want to be there in a way, right? So as you grow up in that family, you go through the initiation, you want to be loyal, you want to serve, you want to protect the leader and the family. That's what you want to do. And, and that whole life then seems kind of normal to you. Do you understand? That's what it means. In that way, just being raised in that milieu, being raised in that way. So, so you're kind of serving it with a loyalty because it's, it's the thing that brings you pleasure. It's the thing that you know. 
It's, the, it's kind of what you can get from it. You understand? That's kind of the idea behind that. So, so when you see um, even, even the, the, those kinds of movies, like a, like a Goodfellas, there's that one scene where the guy says, hey, man, those people that go to work, and I'm very much paraphrasing this, they go to work, they're stiffs. We're not like that. We want something, we take it. You know, we're going to do what we want to do. And so that whole life, that whole world is just filled with, I'm not going to play by the rules. I'm not going to obey the laws. We're going to take what we want. We're going to do what we want. We're going to lie. We're going to cheat. We're going to steal. We're going to murder. And it's all very normal. Understand? That's what it's like to be a slave to sin, to be in bondage to sin. And you are serving that sin. You're in it. It defines you, and you present yourself to it. That is until the Lord comes and changes your heart. Amen? And praise God. That's what he's saying here. Now that you're in Christ, he goes on to say, but thanks be to God in verse 17, that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. Amen and praise God. Now he turns the corner. Now he comes to us. That transformation, that change, at conversion. It's like now that person who was in the mob and in really deep is kind of is converted and then wants to leave that mob, right? When you leave the mafia, it kind of changes you too. You can't just get out real easy. That's kind of like sin. It still hounds us in that way. But now you see what it, you see it what it's for what it was, right? So you talk to people that have come out of the mafia families, and they'll tell you what they did was wrong. Like, listen to Mike Franzese. He's, he's like a mafia boss that came out, and he's a Christian. He has a testimony. He's really good. I see you're shaking your head. Yeah, that's right. And that's what he talks about, this, this kind of thing. So now you see, but that's what this is. We, we, we are free from serving that cruel master. So, so you need to stop it. You need to stop it. You need to mortify. Why do you go on serving that master when you are set free from him? That's the question that Paul's asking. That's what he's wrestling with. That's what he's telling us. Say, don't do that anymore. We're not bound. We're not slaves like that. We have been set free. Notice the tenses in these, in these verses. Look at the tense. Look at verse 17 once again. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves, you were once slaves. That's the imperfect past tense. That's what you were. You were a slave. Amen. That's right. Then he says, you were slaves of sin, but you have become obedient from the heart. You have become. That's an aorist tense. That's a present tense. That's right now. That's the reality. You were that, but here's who you are right now. And you've obeyed, he says, from the heart. And that's a heart that's been transformed. You know what that means. You had a heart before you were converted that was darkened in understanding. You lived that life, but now with a new heart that he's given to us, you obey from that heart, right? He says that, and that means... When you obey somebody from the heart, what's the idea? It's not just this, okay, I got to obey because, you know, I need to, or I want to score. It's, no, I, I, I love you so much. It's the authenticity. It's the sincerity. When you really love somebody, when you love them with all your heart and you serve them from that heart, then there's a genuineness to it. There's a, there's a devotion to it. And he says, and listen to this because it's really important because it's not just, well, I'm serving the way God, 
um, the way I want to or the way you know, I think is the best. No, I'm serving him the way he demands that I serve him, the way he commands me to serve. Look what he says here. So we don't just serve him the way we want to. Oh, I think God likes this. Here's what God might like from me. No, we serve him according to his word. Thanks be to God, verse 17, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. To the standard of teaching to which you were committed. That is so important. It's not some arbitrary, subjective, relativistic rules that you kind of set for yourself where you can manipulate God when you're truly converted. And so many people are doing that right now, today. Well, I think God loves me. I think God will be pleased with my sincerity in bringing this worship to him, even though it's contrary to what the Scripture teaches. No, that's not going to be acceptable to the Lord God. That's why we're kind of careful about, not kind of, that's why we're careful about what we sing and what we do here, even in our church. We want to be honoring to him in that way, not just what we feel God might like. Now, we don't manipulate him. We don't do it according to, you know, some, some subjective kind of standard. Well, God knows how I really feel. God understands how, how my spouse treats me, so he's going to be okay with me committing adultery. No, 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 don't think that. Don't think that for a minute. That's, that's, not, God, that's not the standard. We don't set the standard. He gives us the standard. And when you're obedient from the heart, you will abide or seek to abide by the standard. Do you understand? That's a big deal for us. The standard's outside ourselves. It's objective. It's unchanging. It's transcendent. It's authoritative. It's his word. It reflects God's character and his nature. Thy word is truth. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us this. That all scriptures God breathed, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Do you understand that we have been set free? Verse 18, he goes on and says, having been set free. Again, notice the tense, having been. What's that talk about? You have been set free. Okay, that's what's going on. You have been set free from sin. That's past. We have become, that's present, free to obey Christ, to resist sin, to be slaves of righteousness. That's his big deal. That's what Paul's saying. We obey him. You understand? This is what it means for us when he says this, that we obey him from the heart according to his standards. We're not bound to sin anymore. We have freedom to do righteousness, so we obey him. That means you obey him. Are you obeying God? Are you looking to see, are you seeking to obey him despite popular opinion? Who cares? What, let, let God be true and every man a liar. And it doesn't matter, even if it comes within the church, if they're teaching you something that goes counter to Scripture, you have to say no. Or if they say this is okay to do and it's counter to Scripture, you say no, because we obey Him despite popular opinion, despite societal pressure. There's a lot of pressure on us right now, Christians, to kind of get away from the Word, isn't there? And obey the things of the world. We, we continue to obey Him. We obey him despite the changing and shifting cultural norms. Again, let God be true. That's where the test comes in. Are we continuing to abide by his word according to his standards? Are we obeying him? And you obey him. You obey him despite your own feelings, despite your temptations, despite your desires. We say no to sin. Our identity is not there anymore. We say no to sin. We say no to the flesh, no to the world, and no to the devil because we see sin for what it is in Jesus Christ. 
and it doesn't reign over us anymore. Remember who you are in Jesus Christ when you're tempted to sin. Remember your position in Christ. Remember that that reign of sin is broken. The slavery is gone. The chains are free. You are set free. It's like you're in a prison and, and the door's unlocked. You just, you walk through that now in Jesus Christ. You have the, you have the freedom and the power to say no to sin because you are in Christ. In other words, you are free to obey him, to honor him, and to please him, to do what glorifies him. Are you doing that? Is that what you're seeking to do? Are you playing with sin? Are you letting sin come in and play on the edges? Because as we get to chapter 7, we're going to see that that actually happens, and that's a true temptation for us. We are slaves of righteousness. And there's great freedom when you're being who you're meant to be. You know that? There's great freedom being a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, being a slave of righteousness. There's freedom there. Because then we're being who we're called to be. We're being shaped and molded by him. Do you ever hear the illustration of a train? When's a train most free? A train is most free when it's confined to the rails. That's what it's doing. That's that's what it when it's doing what it's meant to do. And that's when it's free. When it gets off the rails, and we hear about this all the time, life is off the rails, and all the train derailments that are going on, what does that cause? Chaos, wreckage, damage, destruction, and pain. So a train is most free when it's confined to the rails, not off the rails, just like us as Christians. We're most free as we live in obedience to Christ, as we live as slaves of righteousness. That's when we're most free. Not when we want to do what our flesh wants to do. Not when we give in to, to sin in that way. In a marriage, you're most free when you love your spouse with a clear conscience. Do you know that? When you can honor your spouse with integrity, fidelity, and honesty. When there's no hidden sin in your life. When you're not secretly in the background viewing porn. When you're not letting your mind go where it should not go. When you're not hiding or covering up an affair that's going on. Do you see there's freedom in that, isn't there? When you're living in obedience to Christ, that freedom to love with that clear conscience. Proverbs 10.9 says this, whoever walks in integrity walks securely. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to worry about because you're on the rails and you're being who you're called to be. But he who makes his ways crooked or he who perverts his ways will be found out. Right? And you know that. That's it. That's what Paul's saying here. As we're serving Christ and we're free to obey him. Are we doing that? Are you living that way? He says, we are slaves to righteousness. You say, what's a slave to righteousness look like? Well, I would just commend to you to read Matthew 5 through 7, chapters 5 through 7. But since we can't do that in our sermon this morning, I will ask you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. What's a slave of righteousness look like? And how hard it is. And people complain. And it's so frustrating, isn't it? Because people say, well, I don't want to be a Christian because there's so many rules. And it's so hard. You have to do this and you have to do that. And it's so confining and it's so you know, restraining in that way. Let me live the life the way I want to live it. They think there's freedom there. That freedom's actually bondage. When you're obeying Christ and living to righteousness, there's freedom there. Amen? Praise God. Don't you get frustrated like that with people? They all say, oh, you know, it's, it's too much, too confining. You know, God has too many rules for me. Oh, there's great freedom in obeying Christ. So Colossians chapter 3, what does a slave of righteousness look like? You know, being in bondage to righteousness, being a bond service of servant of righteousness. What does that look like in Christ Jesus? Well, like this. Colossians chapter 3, beginning 
in verse uh, 12. Put on then as chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassion. That's what it looks like, compassionate hearts. It looks like kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. See, this is what it looks like. This is what a slave of righteousness looks like. And above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell. Uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's what it looks like to be a slave of righteousness. Don't you want to be that kind of slave in that righteousness? It looks like this. 1 Corinthians 4, 12b. Here's what it looks like to be a slave of righteousness. As you go about and you're living in Christian life and you're facing difficulties for it, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We've become and still are like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. That's what slaves of righteousness looks like. Daniel 3, 17 and 18. We read this earlier. This is what righteousness looks like. If you're a slave to righteousness, you're not going to give in to the world no matter what. There's no compromise. It says this, said, look, we're going to throw you in that fire, as we read earlier. He said, look, if that be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning furnace. Do you believe that? That the Lord is able to deliver you out of all of your trials? Do you believe that? That's a slave of righteousness. We believe that our God is able to do that. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, and even if he doesn't, we believe that he's able to and will according to his purpose. But even if he chooses not to, even if he doesn't, O king, <clears throat> Um, if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We're still not going to give in, whether he delivers us from this or he chooses not to deliver us from it. We are going to remain faithful. That's a slave of righteousness. Amen? That's what it's called. That's what we're called to be. Then Acts four eighteen through 20. So they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach the truth in, their name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you or rather rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. That's a slave of righteousness. You understand? That's who we're living for. That's how we're living. That's what Paul's saying here. He's going to go on and talk about this um, even further. We'll talk about that next week. But the question I have for you this morning is simply this. That the whole, everything we're talking about here, everything that Paul's talking about, the question is not, is this true? It is true. That we are free from the bondage of sin, the reign of sin. We don't have to sin. That That is gone. Again, even in uh, verse 12 of, of Romans 6, don't let sin, let sin not reign in your mortal body to make it obey your passions. Do not present yourself as members to sin of, as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will not have dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. Just like we said last week. The question is is not, is this true? Because I know that that's hard for us to, to fathom because of the nature of sin, because of our dealing with sin, because of the amount of times we do fall into sin. Is this true? Paul saying, Yes, that reign is broken. You need not live like that. 
It is true. The question is, do you really believe that it's true? Do you believe it's true? And if you believe that it's true, why aren't you living like it's true? And that's a challenge for us.